podcast of Wednesday's Child. This is where we discuss all things eating disorders and we bring you some fabulous guests and insights. So today I am joined by a new guest to the Wednesday's Child podcast. I'm joined by therapist Sarah Parker, who has got some just fabulous experiences and insight to share. And I know very recently we had Sarah as a guest facilitator on one of our support groups, and she just went down so well with the audience that it just felt really selfish of me not to share her stupendous, amazing electric energy with you all on this podcast. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm really good thank you and thank you so much for having me on I'm really excited to be here with you I I I loved doing the facilitator and I loved being part of it so I'm really thrilled to be back on here with you today oh well we're delighted to have you and it's for a couple of reasons that we've kind of bumped into each other in the universe and you know in part it's because of the therapist role that you have in assisting people on their recovery journey from an eating disorder but what makes you even more wonderful and special and empathetic and compassionate is that like so many of us you've been through this, you've traveled this road, and you yourself experienced an eating disorder in your earlier life. And I thought we'd just start by touching on that and and kind of reflecting what you learned about that. And then this really weird juxtaposition of then going into therapy, which involves helping people to travel through that journey toward recovery. So take me back a little bit, Sarah, and, and your recollections of that time living with an eating disorder. Well, I guess, you know, my I, I lived with anorexia, Debbie, for about 15 years. And as a child, I'd been always bigger than my peers and had always really thought that I would only be good enough if I was thin, but never really gone anywhere with that. But I think that and of course, at the time, I didn't see all of this, but I'd finished university, I'd stepped into the world of work and I was in this very adult role working in the NHS as a podiatrist and with a lot of expectations upon me and didn't quite feel like I could live up to all of that. I still think I felt a bit childlike and I was struggling with how how to navigate the outside world as an adult from an inside world which felt quite childlike um and and very innocently you know a friend of mine asked me to be a bridesmaid and of course my response was well yes I will if I can lose weight what happened from then was I found myself in a cycle of losing weight which kind of felt a bit good which then became very habitual without me even realizing And and by the time I could see that, oh, this is hard to change. And so carrying on down the road of eating less and less and less became, in my mind, almost easier than trying to challenge and do something different. And I think I often think about eating disorders. We innocently fall into them without realising, but we have to work really hard to step out of them you know and that's the unfair thing about them often I think and that's actually I think in conflict sometimes to what people that are watching you from the outside and don't go through an eating disorder I've often had comments from those who've loved me saying for goodness sake you managed to starve yourself you did the hard bit 
All you've got to do now is the easy bit of flipping well eating and getting yourself well again. And, and I honestly think that's kind of the impression to the outside world of, well, surely all it takes now is the easy bit because it took all that resolve to get someone well in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that those words will make absolute sense to anybody that doesn't live with that really deep fear of eating and restoring weight. Because to, to thankfully, Debbie, to most of the population, eating is pleasurable. It's food that we enjoy. It's what keeps us alive. And yet for somebody with an eating disorder, particularly, I guess, with anorexia, but actually, you know, most people with a difficult relationship with food, eating is not just eating. It's not, it comes with a whole lot of other very tricky feelings. For me, there was an element of shame. There was an element of embarrassment that I was eating as if it was something wrong. But but the most deep-seated, deep-rooted feeling was fear. And so for me, and I think for most people, particularly with anorexia, it's not about well, eating's easy. Eating becomes terrifying, um, you know, and even, you know, without anorexia, but if you're binging and purging or if you are a, a binge eater, it, it food isn't food, you know, and it's really, that sounds like a nonsense, doesn't it? But food becomes something completely transformed from the thing that gives us energy and life and it becomes almost our energy our, our enemy and certainly for me it was something that I felt that was terrifying on lots of levels and so I get it that people say well it's easy to eat and physically it is but for somebody in the midst of a difficult relationship with that food it's not easy emotionally at all because it's so all consuming isn't it because those of us that have been through it and live with it know full well it's the thing that from the moment your eyelashes start to separate in the morning you are thinking what can I justify today what what do I have to do in order to allow myself to eat this amount that amount where am I going today what time am I doing it there who's going to watch me if I do this when will I need to shop for some more food when am I going to be able to expend the energy that's involved from consuming this food it's just exhausting it really is it really is and I guess that you know that that's that's a response often of a starved brain a brain that you know, the wonderfulness of our human system is when we don't have the nourishment we have, we need, our minds will constantly seek out and think about food. Now, for somebody in the midst of an eating disorder, that feels terrifying because we think I'm always feeling thinking about food. This is going to consume my life. I can't not, I can't get better because what if that con that thinking about food constantly means that I'm going to eat constantly? But actually, it's part of our wonderful system that says you need to eat to stay alive. So your body is going to think about nothing but food whilst ever you're not giving it the nourishment it needs. But I didn't see that at the time in the midst of my eating disorder. I thought it was my body failing me and my mind saying that I was greedy because I was always thinking about food. Oh, that's that's just the real hard bit of it, isn't it? That actually it's all those emotions that come about from the fact that you're doing the thing that you should 
least be doing, but actually it's causing your brain to think even worse about you and therefore the behaviours continue and that sense Absolutely. Of- it's a like classic vicious cycle. It is. It really is. So what, what was your journey beyond the eating disorder? You said yeah. 15 years. I mean, yeah. 15 years, that's a long time. You were a young adult in a professional arena, presumably still living at home with your parents for yeah. some time. Yeah, all of the time, Debbie, you know, my life pretty much didn't progress in terms of career, in terms of, you know, the the things that you would, most adults will go through, you know, changing jobs, having partners, getting married, whatever. My life was food and restricting and hospitals and going home. Um, And my life pretty much was around my parents, who I was very close to and and really thought. And there there were lots of factors that brought about a change for me. But, you know, I thought that if my dad in particular died, I would have to die because I couldn't live without him. He was everything to me. And in 2005, he died. Um, he had cancer and he died and I was beside myself and my first response of course my only way that I knew of coping with that was to starve myself which promptly the following year landed me in hospital again for a long admission but in that admission there was was something within me that was changing something that was saying you've got to be an adult now you've not got your dad it wasn't the voice that I thought was going to be saying, you've got to kill yourself. It was saying, oh, you've got to rethink this. And it was very gently and it wasn't all of a sudden everything was all right. But a combination of that and kind of getting curious about what I might be like as an adult. And I was I was in therapy myself and the therapist said to me, Sarah, have you ever thought about counselling? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I've had you the counsellor. Of course I have. And she said, no, no, you becoming a counsellor. And that moment, even now when I say it, Debbie, sends shivers down my spine. Because in that moment, what I saw was that I could be more than anorexic. That I was more than anorexic. About it's about creating a new identity, isn't it? And 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 getting out of. I, I mean, I, I don't know whether you've ever thought of this, but I, I've often felt that anorexia gives you this sort of status of a, arrested development at, mm. at whatever point that it happens. Whether you're pre-puberty, whether you are 22 and ought to yeah. be out dating and buying your first house, it's arrested development at the point it sets in until yeah. something takes that handbrake off and allows you to find who are you without your eating disorder absolutely and I think absolutely true for me it was almost like I'd innocently found a way I thought of freezing time you didn't have to be an adult I looked like a child I could be looked after I didn't have to take those responsibilities of an adult I found this amazing way of freezing time not really but that's what my mind had told me and then here I was and, and after 15 years of thinking that time was frozen, I realised it wasn't. Time can't be frozen and life was still happening and moving. It's just that my mind had tricked me into thinking that I'd frozen time. And here I was, 15 years later, my dad had died. You know, time really wasn't frozen. And well, I'm going to ask you a question now. And I, I was kind of, I was considering this question and it was just going through my head and I was thinking, I really hope this isn't 
oversensitive, but I ask it perhaps also personal reasons. I know myself and other people have gone through this. Was there a recovery grief almost, a mourning for the element of life that you recognized as you started to come out of your eating disorder, the recognition of what you had lost, what you had missed out on, the relationships you might have had, the marriage you might have entered into, the house you might have had on your own as an early 20 something, yeah. the extra time with your dad, perhaps. You know, I don't I don't say that kind of glibly to, you know, scratch at wounds that are really painful for some of us that have to recognise what we've lost. But I'm, I'm just wondering what your experience was of yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, Debbie, I don't think there is such a thing as an insensitive question. I think we can receive it with, you know, a bit of pain, but I don't actually, I don't, because I think there was a sense of, of a little bit of grief, especially in the early days of moving beyond my eating disorder, a sense of, oh, because I got, I, I, I felt like I was a young adult again. You know, I was in my late 30s, but but actually here I was starting life anew. You know, the university training that I'd done didn't really serve me because I hadn't worked in that career for 15 years. Um, I had to start as a young adult again. And so that felt hard and there was a sense of, oh, what have I done? But now we're sort of 15, 16, 17 years on. Actually, there's a huge gratitude and that sounds really odd, Debbie, but I learn so much more about me, about humanity, about, about what it took, what resilience we all have within us. I don't think I would have learned that without those 15 years of, of my eating disorder. So in, in many, many respects, I'm incredibly grateful for the learning I had in that time. I'm sad that my dad never got to see me well again. I'm sad, you know, for some of the things that didn't happen in my life. But overwhelmingly, I have a huge gratitude for the learning that that time has given me now. You know, I, don't, I probably wouldn't be in the career that I'm in now, probably wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now. I absolutely love the life I have and that's not to say I have a perfect life you know we all have ups and downs but I I am incredibly grateful for for life actually for having a partner that I love for having dogs for having a home for having a career that fills me with joy with hope and for a career in which I can share you know what, I don't know if we all will get better, but I truly believe that we all can get better. We all have the capacity to get well again. Yes, yeah. yes. And I'm in a position where I can not only say that, but show that. That's amazing. That yeah. really, it is, wow, incredible. So on the whole, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for what it taught me, for what it gave me more much more so these days than for what it potentially took away gosh wow it's just oh it's so powerful to hear that I, I want to take you back a few steps we you were talking about the way the brain responds to starvation and that brings to mind a study that I really wanted to talk with you about which I know for those of us that know all about the Minnesota starvation experiment, for anybody that wants to Google it while we're talking, <laughs> um, 
you know, anybody that's ever kind of read about it, there is a lot, a bit of a light bulb moment where you go, oh my God, that's really incredible. <laughs> These guys didn't have any desire to look really skinny. I, I wonder whether you could talk us through that experiment a little bit more and explain how that relates to what you've talked about there about that brain starvation. Yeah, well, I guess in a nutshell, at the end of the Second World War, a guy called Ansel Keys did a study on, on men who had all been selected for not having any psychological problems. So these men were all psychologically healthy. They had no previous problems with anorexia, with bulimia, with any eating disorders, with depression, with anxiety. So they were chosen specifically for that. And they went through a process of semi-starvation where for six months their their nutritional intake was reduced by 25%. And and they were studied and their behaviours and their responses to that were studied. So as the men lost weight, they started to behave in all of the in in all of the ways that we see many people with diagnosed eating disorders behaving. So they started to think about food more. They started to fantasize, to dream more about food. They started to collect recipes. They started to want to change their careers to become chefs and bakers. All of that thinking was around food, was around kind of how can I be around food more? How can I get food? What can I do with food? These men, don't forget, didn't have an eating disorder. They just had a 25% reduction in their nutritional intake. They, we also saw that they became anxious, they became depressed, they, some of them became suicidal, some of them started to binge because of the lack of nutrition and that's what our bodies do. I see. So what we see from this study is that it's not an eating disorder per se that creates all of these behaviours and thoughts. It's a starved brain. It's a natural response to a body and a brain that does not have enough nourishment that will respond in all the classic ways that we see often in many people with eating disorders. So when people say, well, you know, I, I want to recover, but I don't want to change my behaviours. I want to recover, but I don't want to restore weight then what I will say is that's maybe your way of wanting to avoid some fear of making those changes. But actually, the only way to move beyond these behaviours is to nourish ourselves and to have a healthy weight and to have a healthy mind, because without that, we will be stuck in the same level of thinking that we have when we have an undernourished body and brain. Wow. And you must, I mean, taking on board everything you know about that study, as a therapist today, do you find yourself sometimes conflicted by the person who sits in front of you and says, just give me the therapy, just give me the therapy and that will get me well? Absolutely. Because, you know, I think human beings, me included, Debbie, we love talking about stuff and it's easy to talk about stuff, but it's so much more challenging emotionally to do the stuff. And so I think it's absolutely natural that people that sit with me say, let's just talk about it and I'll do it another time. Yeah, let's just talk about it some more and I'll do it another time. Um, I, I, I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> 
rather a lot, 15 years worth, probably, Debbie. Um, but but you know what we what I know is and what we all know is absolutely there's a whole lot of value of importance from talking about it from sharing our understanding from sharing our experiences and, and bringing some compassion and understanding to our difficult experiences and to move beyond those trappings of undernourished bodies and brains we need to eat we need to regulate our our nutritional intake we need to have a body that sits at a healthy weight to experience life without those difficult behaviours and thoughts that come from starvation. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing for anybody listening that's either trying to get well themselves or wants to help somebody else get well, is just that acknowledgement that without doing the doing, you can have all the theory in the world. And I suppose that's one thing, you know, we see playing out on social media, don't we? We see the most kind of vocal advocates in the um, eating disorder community who will talk about it, who will preach about it who will say how terrible it is that you know there's calories on this menu and this yeah. is happening in parliament and this shouldn't be used in advertising but actually when it comes down to your individual recovery what are you doing are you doing the thing to create the nutritional rehabilitation because without that there will be no neural rewiring and without that there will be no recovery uh, so true Debbie so true and it's hard to say that because I know that for me in the midst of my anorexia that it, it felt very real for me that calories weren't helpful and that you know all the talk in the media wasn't helpful and of course it's not I'm not saying it is um and we have to we have to own our own our own recovery, aside from what's happening out there in the world, aside from any numbers, aside from any BMI charts, aside from any kind of diet industry messages, we have to own within ourselves. Actually, this is what I need to do to experience a life of freedom around food and nourishment and allow my body to be as it needs to be to serve me in the best way it can. Yeah, and sometimes that means that, you know, as in the position as a therapist or somebody in a befriending relationship or whatever, it means you've got to say, you know, you can't kid a kidder, you've got to be tough. And you need to tell that person that we can do all the chat, we can do all the writing out the charts, we can all do all the discussion around what the brain is doing. But actually, ultimately, we have to make those really tough choices that don't feel comfortable at all. Yeah, we've got to get comfortable with being really bloody uncomfortable for a while we have we've got to do the doing and we've got to know that actually in doing the doing we're likely to feel really tricky emotions and human beings can live through emotions we don't have to avoid emotions they might feel uncomfortable we might want to avoid them we all do none of us want to feel tricky emotions but they all pass and the difficult thing is whenever we have, for example, anxiety and we ease that anxiety by binging and purging or by starving ourselves by missing a meal, that almost sends a message to our brain. Oh, this is how we cope with anxiety. This is what brings anxiety down. But if we see from the anxiety curve, as the curve goes up and the anxiety increases, 
it won't stay at the top forever. Even if we do nothing but sit there and wait it out, anxiety will come down. But the only way we can start to learn that is to keep persisting with not responding to anxiety in the way we always have done within eating disorders. We have to do something different. Yeah, yeah. So as we come to wrap this episode up and, and you know, it's always such a disappointment to me to finish our conversations <laughs> because I know everybody's enjoying listening to you as much as I do. But, you know, for somebody that's listening to this right before they put their head on the pillow tonight or someone is just putting their headphones in their ears and heading off to work and wondering about whether they can justify having lunch with a colleague. Do you have any little takeaway gem that you could just share with someone who's right in the thick of it right now, who is perhaps a functioning anorexic bulimic binge eater who is getting away with it. And and when I mean, when I say getting away with it, I mean that kind of the way that so many of us live like this. We're not bed bound and we haven't constantly got people saying oh my god I'm so frightened for you actually we're managing to kid the world that we're getting away with it but really nothing is changing what does that person do today Sarah what's what's just one thing that you could say to them what what could they do well I guess try something different try something different your mind will be screaming no I can't and you still can and just get curious because we're not what we eat. We're not what we weigh. We're not how we look. We're way, way more than that. As human beings, we are just the most incredible beings that can't be defined by what we eat, what we weigh, how we look. We just can't be. So I would invite everybody to see themselves from some distance, not see themselves in that close-up, I am my eating disorder and this is how I show up. But just to step back and say, this is the world I show up in. I'm this person, I'm this person, I can do this, I can do this. And none of that, none of that, none of who we are is defined by what we eat and what we weigh. It can't be. Because I can tell you, Debbie, and I'm sure you know this for yourself, you know, my body might be very different now from when I was in the midst of anorexia. But as a human being, I'm still a glorious human being that gets things wrong, that messes up, that swears sometimes, that gets cross sometimes, that sometimes gets anxious at stuff. And I'm still absolutely okay just as I am. Yeah. And in fact, more so than you were when you were in that restricted state of being totally totally because you know that that narrows us down to all of that focus on food we can't focus on our beings as anything else really we don't see our glory because all we see is food weight what I'm eating when I'm eating it if we can step back from that a little bit we see the gloriousness that we all have and actually I think that's why often friends and family of people that recover will often say do you know what I notice Mm. it's not just the change in your shape the change in your size it's that you are more present you are there I think you're in the room with me I can see you hearing me I know that you're not over there in your head thinking about that meal I'm gonna have later you're actually there with me being my friend my sister my mother 
Yeah. Our bodies are always present. Our minds very rarely are, especially in the midst of an eating disorder. But actually, if we can come back to the present moment and when we're eating, we're eating. But take away the stories around that. When you're not eating, still be present. And the eating will come whenever it comes. But try as much as you can to be present in the moment you're in. Because in that moment, you're free from the busy thoughts. Yeah. And those busy thoughts are the things that get in the way of our recovery, of our change. And get in the way of life you know they really do just dictate our worlds don't they and and you know you've talked about those kind of 15 lost years you know life life goes by really quickly we weren't put on this earth to be a bystander we were put on this earth to be that glorious individual in whatever shape our body was destined to be yeah absolutely and you know Thankfully for me, they weren't lost. They were just different from what most people would expect. But, you know, what a shame that I missed a lot of those years. I missed living fully in those 15 years. I missed, you know, being a full part of society, being a full part of, you know, working, of doing all the stuff that people were doing because my mind convinced me that it needed to freeze time. Wow. Thank God for an end to that paralysis. Thank goodness. Absolutely. But it's hard because, you know, Debbie, and I know we're out of time, but what what we often think is, oh, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it yeah. tomorrow. And before you know it, there are five, 10, 15 years of tomorrows. Make it today. Make doing it right now, not tomorrow, not later on. Make it today. And I want anybody that's listening to that in their headphones or playing out on some speaker somewhere, just to rest with that right now. Make it today. Thank you, Sarah Parker. It was just an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. And I know that you and I have talked about doing some other bits and pieces together with Wednesday's Child. So I'm really looking forward to those. So we we will reveal a bit more to our audience in a future episode. But thank you again for joining us. And thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you really enjoyed it. And please, please, please send us comments because you can be sure we will pass them on to Sarah. Thanks again. And we will be with you again soon on another Wednesday's Child podcast. Take care for now. Bye.